Hello and welcome to the Taking the Charge podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hine. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for your time. I say it all the time and I mean it every time. There is so much unbelievable podcasting out there. And for you to choose to spend your time with the Taking the Charge is... um, uh, it's unfathomable. Uh, th- uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, a wonderful interview this week uh, with uh, with someone who, you know, I just have to imagine this to be a huge role model um, and, uh, and uh, somebody who's uh, also doing a lot to help uh, the people that she's actually a role model. She and that person is Michelle O'Keefe. Uh, former president CEO of the of Canada Basketball, so the number one person in Canadian basketball, uh, which is actually chance, uh, which actually when I had a chance to to meet her back in 2017 in Cairo, um, in Canada basketball's brightest moment when they won the under 19 uh, FIBA under 19 World Basketball Cup uh, there in um, in Cairo in Egypt with uh, R.J. Barrett uh, just being unbelievable. Um, but, uh, Michelle O'Keefe also has a, uh, has a lot of, uh, different, uh, hats that she's wearing and we, we touch about, we touch about, uh, on all of them. Um, she's uh, a member of the FIBA central board. Uh, she's a member of the FIBA commission women in basketball. And, uh, she's also the athletic director at, uh, Niagara Col- uh, Niagara college, uh, back in her home, uh, home city. Um, and so just, it's a long interview, but it's well worth it. Uh, she's a, she's a fantastic storyteller and, um, and we touch on a whole bunch of things, even a little bit of, uh, of Canadian ice hockey. Um, and, uh, something I didn't realize that, that, uh, that, uh, that Canadian soccer is, is actually so big. I didn't realize that. Um, but, uh, some wonderful storytelling, uh, before we get to that, obviously we have a couple of different things. Uh, just first of all, this is the, t- this is a taking the charge podcast. It's on the taking the charge Substack, taking the charge Uh, you can subscribe to the, to the Substack. You can become a paid subscriber. And with that, you get the access to the taking the charge prospects podcast, which, uh, is every week we do an interview with uh, a leading young player in the game around the world. Uh, this week we had uh, Alexander Bolsarovsky, the 2000-born center with uh, on loan right now with Mega uh, Belgrade, um, playing uh, this weekend with the Polish national team. Um, we have a sneak uh, peek at that interview coming up in a couple of minutes. Um, and you also get the full archives of the Talking Talent podcast, um, so go to takingthecharge.substack.com and you can become a paid subscriber. If you think the price is too high, come to me, drop me a message, um, and, and we can talk about that. Okay. Every week we, we talk about three subjects that are going on and, uh, before we get to the interviews, etc. Um, and this week's uh, story, we are watching the big three, um, just I'm just going to lump it all together. The FIBA Basketball World Cup 2023 uh, qualifiers. You know we're seeing all of these all these teams come back. National teams uh, coming back into action uh, this weekend from Thursday to uh, really Monday evening um, uh, European time uh, with uh, the games then in, in the Americas, uh, taking the Central Europe the the Europeans into the into the morning hours. 
Um, and it's just, you know, wall-to-wall basketball, you know, Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, and, and the Americas. There's just, just so much. If you're excited about national team basketball, which is really so fantastic, you, you know, you Club basketball, great. National team basketball, I just you know there's there's uh, there's always a love of national team basketball for me uh, as well. Uh, just having your country on your on your chest, these guys playing for their country means so much as so much as well. Um, so it, I'm just gonna lump it all together. Story we're watching is is just all those games. Um, uh, want to uh, move to the to the to the young player of the week is what we usually call it, and I'm actually gonna pick twelve guys. And uh, I don't. I am not going to um, uh, say the twelve guys um, uh, because the the team has not been officially announced on the on the uh, the the Adidas Next Generation Tournament website. Uh, but they are the twelve players who will have the opportunity over the next few days to be taught and listened to, uh, uh, and just you know learning lessons from the amazing. Uh, legend uh, Vasilis Panoulis. This is the, the the next generation team, um, and of course, this is the Adidas Next Generation Tournament in Belgrade, which comes up this this weekend. And uh, this year, uh, the organizers have come up with the idea of having uh, select teams. Adidas picks uh, picks one team for each of the four qualifiers, and uh, this one is in is is in Belgrade this weekend. And um, you know, it's. These, these so and, and the coach will be Vasilis Panoulis, obviously Greek uh, national uh, national team legend, uh, Olympiakos, you know, among other places, and just you know, an absolute huge figure in the game of basketball. And he is going to serve as the coach, and just just being around him, I it's just you can't even imagine what lessons uh, these guys, these youngsters, are going to learn. So, um, young player of the week, I'm just going to pick all twelve of the guys. The the you know, be able to watch them this weekend. Um, and uh, just the, the the lessons that they're going to learn, um, just being around him and, and his presence is just uh, you know I, I'm a reporter and and I always enjoyed being around him, um, and 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 they're going to be you know being taught right to you know uh, right from him. So it's got to be amazing. Um, upcoming event, uh, you know, World Cup basketball, uh, World Cup qualifiers is a huge, uh, but for me, someone who's in the youth basketball world much more. A and G T Belgrade. I mean, this is the, you know, this is the the creme de la creme, uh, you know, club youth basketball. And um, I, I'm not traveling. I'm still not traveling. My last event was actually my last basketball game that I went to live was actually this tournament two years ago, uh, right before uh, right before the the world went into shutdown, uh, February 2020, and uh, and. I'm chomping at the bit to get out there again. I'm just not that. I'm not far enough along yet, uh, but I think soon enough uh, I will be back out there. So, but ANGT, you know, those four letters they always, uh, you know, just just, you know, just bring so much joy to 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 my to my you know recollections and, and everything else that you just you. You know, you, you see unbelievable players over the years. You 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 hang out with unbelievable people and and uh, and just have wonderful chats with so many different agents, scouts, uh, club personnel, obviously players as well. So um, teams, team officials, etc. Um, so just uh, it's it's an event that that I love so much. It means so much to me. Um, and it hurts a little bit not being able to get out there. Uh, I mean, okay, not no, as it's, it is obviously my choice to get out there or not, but uh, but uh, definitely, you know, 
go to the go to the Adidas Next Generation tournament uh, Euroleague website. Uh, they'll have the link uh, for the live feed uh, Friday all day. You know, six games Friday, six games Saturday, four games on Sunday, and uh, just you know, this is. You know, this is just elite, uh, elite stuff. Uh, you obviously it's going to be a very big, um, a very big uh, Serbian uh, Balkan feel to the whole thing. Uh, you have uh, you have uh, Servena Svezda, Red Star. Uh, you have Mega. You have Partizan. Uh, then you have Valencia from Spain, Tofas from Turkey, Asvel from uh, France, and then Lit Cabelas, uh, the Lithuanian team. Um, and, and then again, as mentioned, this, uh, this Adidas, ne- uh, this uh, next generation team, so much talent on that, uh, on that team. So uh, really looking forward to it. Um, and if you want to, we're going to have the uh, talking talent uh, podcast coming tomorrow on Thursday. And we go in. We go into into depth with that. Uh, have have fun with the with the preview on that. So uh, stay tuned to talking to the um, to the taking the charge Substack. Uh, the Talking Talent Podcast is the is the preview of the uh, Adidas Next Generation Tournament in Belgrade. All right, let's move to a sneak 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 peek of our Taking the Charge Prospects Podcast. That, it, like I said, is with Alexander Balsarovsky. Um And you know, it's not every it's not every time. That you get a, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there. It's sure it's happened plenty of times, but it doesn't happen very, very often, and it's got to be unbelievably special. Uh, his first, his first game for Poland on the uh, at the uh, national team level, uh, senior national team level, was at the 2019 FIBA Basketball World Cup in China. He was 18 years old, and he was, uh, you know, put onto uh, the world stage as the youngest player in the tournament. And so this is, uh, you know, wanted to uh, this is the, the little sni- snippet that I put in uh, from this week's interview, so talking about his experience there as an 18-year-old at the World Cup, making his debut at the uh, for this for the Polish national team. So we'll catch you on the other side. The summer of 2019, you were still 18, um, and you played at the uh, FIBA Basketball World Cup uh, in uh, in China. Uh, that was your debut with the senior national team too. And, and, and so maybe, you know, mm-hmm. you played against the host, you know, con- uh, country, which is always a big deal. You played against Argentina, you played against Spain. Uh, last game, you also played against USA. How do you look back on that experience? I mean, you know, that must've been kind of a whirlwind, you know, experience, you know, being brought in for the first time, senior national team, world cup, everything like that, you know, everything that went along with, you know, Poland making it to the competition for the first time in ages, mm-hmm. And then you actually playing actually a good amount as well. Just, you know, you know, when you, when you recall that time, what are some of your, your favorite recollections? Uh, I mean, those amazing, amazing time, amazing experience. Uh, one of the best moments of, of my basketball life for sure. Uh, I was excited when, uh, when the coach t- uh, talked to me back then that I will be going with the team. Uh, I was excited. I was a little bit, uh, you know, scared because I was young, really young then, like for the such a such a big uh, stage. So I was just happy he he believed in me and he see me with the team. I was the youngest uh, the youngest player in the uh, in the World Cup, so uh, I was even more uh, more happy and more. more Thankful for the for Mike Taylor that he gave me that opportunity. 
and uh, yeah, that was that was it. That I always looking looking back for the, those moments, and uh, actually, that was like the first time uh, I really got like uh, big minutes with the national team, and even like um, like on the pro level, because back then in Gran Canaria I wasn't playing in the in the first team, mm-hmm. so. Uh, Mike Taylor gave me like the first, uh, my first minutes and my first opportunity to to show myself on a big, big, big level. World Cup. I mean, it doesn't get really any bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sure. All right. Yeah. Uh, whole interview is fantastic. Uh, become a subscriber and uh, get access to that. Get access to all of the great interviews um, that we that I've had with all of these unbelievable players. Uh, and more than a few you will see in the NBA uh, down the road, and you will be seeing them for their national teams. You'll be seeing them for your league teams. Um, you know, these are uh, just elite players, um, and, you know, some of them they will be in the NBA uh, in the in the coming years, all right. Let's let's get to the interview. Uh, we're already getting long, so and the interview is long. Uh, again, Michelle O'Keefe, um, FIBA Central Board member, uh, member of the FIBA Commission Women in Basketball, Athletic Director, Niagara College. Um, enjoy the stories um, and just enjoy her her spirit and enjoy her enthusiasm for um for something that i think is really important fiba has really put it out there started in 2019 it's a four-year cycle going to 2023 to really push women in basketball unfortunately it it needs to be pushed it shouldn't be um and and this and i know i don't talk i you know over the course of my you know the taking the charge of the first uh, re- the the first incarnation of this of this comp- of this podcast didn't do a lot of women's basketball it's not the world that i live in um but uh i did try to do it here and there and i definitely wanted to get uh michelle keith once i once i decided to to re to redo the podcast i definitely wanted to get her on here because of the the women uh and basketball commission and uh and just kind of talk about that and give this and give this push um a little bit of push that i can do from my side you know and uh, just please enjoy uh, at the end um you know there's a call, you know, where, where, how you can help and whatever, you know, support, support women's basketball. It shouldn't need it. Uh, unfortunately it, it does. Um, so enjoy the interview and we will talk to you next week again. Thank you so much for your time. All right. So on the show this week, uh, we have, uh, Michelle O'Keefe, uh, actually athletic director at Niagara college in Canada, but also a member of the FIBA central board and a member of the FIBA Commission Women in Basketball. Uh, Michelle, thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time. Happy to talk to you, David. Um, I guess first, let's start off with uh, the latest news, I guess, in, in women's basketball. We just had the qualifiers for the uh, Women's uh, uh, World Cup that will be taking place later on this year uh, down in Australia. I uh, was wondering uh, if you had much time to... Uh, to watch many of the games or follow much of it. Canada uh, ended up going one and one in their qualifiers uh, in J- Japan, right? 
Those games were yeah, in they Japan. were in Osaka. Yeah, and uh, lost to Japan, but then beat uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. All three teams from that group actually were going through since Belarus wasn't there. Um, I guess just first off, you know, thoughts about Canada to make it through and 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 of the teams, any surprises that that weren't able to make it? Uh, I mean, Belarus obviously is a big power, but you know, not able to take part in the qualifier hurt them obviously. But so I'll let you take the take a floor. Well, you know, it struck me that the bigger surprises were the teams that didn't qualify for the qualifier with like Spain and, and not having Spain in that tournament is so strange. Um, I did watch a couple of the games. Of course, I watched the Canada games uh, in the middle of the night or early morning, whatever it turned out to be. It's great that they're on TV here now in Canada on Sportsnet. That's a long time coming. So it was very easy to watch. Um, and with Canada, we have a new coach, um, an assistant coach, uh, Lisa Tomitis has uh, put her time in and has moved on. Um, and so now we have a new coach who's going to take over and, and hopefully get us over the, the next hurdle and get to the podium. Um, but I've watched a lot of the highlights, David. I'm sure you did as well. Um, Nigeria had a great win over France. And, and, you know, it's nice to see different teams pop up and have great games when, when it's needed and to create a little bit of competitiveness and, and just a little more parity than perhaps sometimes we've had in the past. How much did the, did the qualifiers uh, um, uh, take time away from your Olympics viewing? <laughs> it was one or the other. I can't watch them both. Is that, uh, is that kind of what it was or, or. Yeah. Cause it's all at the same time being uh, yeah. in Asia. So yeah, you know what it, we're fortunate that they show replays and you watch the, the events that you, you can in the early morning and then in the evening before you go to bed. Um, last night I was, I stayed up for a little bit to watch the gold medal women's hockey game and That's uh, victory over USA. Congratulations. I'm sure that uh, has a good feeling throughout the country. Yeah. You know what? they are a great bunch of ladies. And so everyone wants to see them do well. Um, when it was two nothing, I fell asleep. And then I woke up to the national anthem and I'm like, okay, whew, I'm glad I didn't miss anything, but it looks like it was a good game. Three to two. That's a tough one. It's a great rivalry in women's hockey, Canada and the U S. Um, I remember actually being in, in Vancouver in 2010. And even though all the success that, that your country had, you had a feeling that if the USA lost in the men's final to the USA, that all of that success, all of that momentum was for naught. Um, and, you know, so with that sort of in mind, you know, U.S., uh, Canada, don't worry, basketball fans, we will come to basketball back in a second, but um, uh, you guys, uh, Canada lost to Sweden in the quarterfinals. What's the mood like side. there? On the men's side, yeah. You know what? I People care, but it's not the NHLers. The, yeah, exactly. The it, it has to qualify that the NHL yeah. players did not play in the, in the tournament. Yeah. So, so at that point, Canadians are so persnickety about their hockey that if it's not the big boys, then meh, who cares? Um, but it was interesting that the Americans lost too. So it's like a quarterfinals or a semifinals with no Canada, no U.S. in men's hockey. Yeah, That's interesting. Good for Sweden and ROC and Slovakia. Yeah, great, great uh, hockey countries uh, for, for sure. Um, and curling, fan of curling, as as many. No, 
I play oh, okay. Curly Hurt to watch, but oh, okay. boy, oh boy, the women didn't do very well. In I was just going to say, they didn't even make it to the, to the semifinals, to the playoffs. So. No. You know what? It goes back to the depth of field, right? Some of these sports right. that were, Canada's really good at the sports where nobody else plays. Um, <laughs> and then when Germ- Germany else- had, Germany had some of that too, like luge and bobsled and stuff like that. Yeah. That's- yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, we, we do our best and then everybody else catches up and it's like, what? Now we have to train differently. You know, back 10, 15 years ago, if there's um, a world junior boys hockey tournament that happens every year during the Christmas holidays, starts on December 26th and it usually finishes around January 3rd. And for years and years and years, Canada won, Canada won, Canada won everybody else started to get better. And the first or the second time Canada didn't win, we had to have like this national summit mm. on what are we doing wrong in our developing our hockey players. And the rest of the country is like, who cares? Um, but we, we tend to take our hockey very seriously, our ice hockey. Um, but interestingly, hockey is not the biggest sport in this country. Soccer is. Is it? Wow. By far. Not yep. even close. Oh. Nope. Number one. And so uh, soccer, hockey, then soccer, soccer, hockey, and then I think swimming and then basketball. Swimming is ahead of, of basketball. Wow. Well, because everybody it's 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 all the people who play. Right. So you get all the little kids who are taking swimming lessons. And uh, all so so you're talking membership then. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Wow. Learn something new every day. Um, let, let's get back to, to basketball. Um, uh, Canada, you know, um, was uh, it was a, a disappointment, kind of a disappointment at the at the FIBA America Cup. Uh, you guys, uh, Canada, I'll say Canada, lost to Puerto Rico and then Brazil. Uh, first non-medal since 07. Last time not in the final since 2011. Um, uh, bronze medals at the World Cup uh, go back to uh, the 1986 was the last of the two. Um, thoughts about this team? I mean, there are a lot of talented players on that team. Uh, what do you think about expectations going down there? You know, it's, it's, uh, from, from, let's talk about the, uh, Olympic measurements for just a second. So we had our women's team qualify for Sydney in 2000. Then they didn't qualify again till 2012 in London. So there's a long time in between where we just kind of muddled through. Then we, we qualified at the last chance tournament for the London Olympics. Did okay. I think we played some good games, but hadn't played at that level in a while. And since then, we've been very steady. So for the last 10 years, we've been very steady, reliable, and, and getting into those events. I think in 2015, we hosted the Pan Am Games and our women won the gold medal. And then um, two weeks later, we hosted the Olympic qualifiers in Edmonton and captured that championship as well. So, you know, that, that group of women at the time uh, under Lisa Tomitis's uh, leadership were on a roll. You know, it was, Kia was still young at that point. Um, not that she's not young now, but you know, she was, she was, she was just starting to climb. And then we had our veterans like Miranda M and Kim Gaucher and um, Natalie Ashanwa. And so you had this group of women who were coming up and it, they, were, they were thriving off each other and they loved playing each other. Um, 
I don't know if you, do you remember Lizanne um, Murphy from our women's team? She often used to say, we play professional overseas in the winter so we can get better when we play for Canada in the summer. And that's the beauty of our women's team. They all take that approach to playing for the country. We never have problems with having the, them come out to play. They're always ready to go. And it's, it's a joy to watch. And I think now that we have a new coach, a coaching staff, um, Kia is still coming, rehabbing off her ACL injury last year. So we'll see what the prognosis for her return is. But what I really enjoyed about watching them last week in the, in the World Cup qualifiers was the young ones um, and seeing how they are starting to really get comfortable. And I think it's when they get one or two of these events under their belts with getting more and more minutes that they really start to be able to take their place. Um, our younger teams are strong. Our, our U19 teams, U17 teams are strong. The, the pipeline is strong. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. And, you know, the new coach seems to have a full grasp pretty quickly. So, you know, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to Australia. Yeah. Um, let, let's go back to, um, to actually, for, for those who don't know, you know, um, you know, you, you were the, you know, the top, uh, person in Canada and, and Canadian basketball, you know, you, and you, and you rose the ranks, um, started in 94, uh, 1994, uh, uh, you know, communications director, basketball operations, executive director. And then, uh, and, 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 and then in, uh, 2015 to, uh, 18, 2018, I believe, right. Uh, uh president and, and chief, uh, chief executive officer. So, I mean, you're as high as it gets. Um, Maybe, maybe first um, for who did you, who did you see as sort of role models as you kind of rose the ranks, you know, maybe, or maybe mentors and, you know, how did you, you know, go back and, you know, talk, you know, when you, when you think of that rise, you know, and that was, you know, that was a rise of, of, uh, of almost two decades, um, you know, to, to, you know, and all yeah. of these spots in there. So, you know, who, who are some of the role models slash, um, slash mentors? That's such a great question, David. And you know what? I honestly don't think anyone's ever asked me that before, which is, which is interesting. Um, when I started in 94, you'll recall Canada was hosting the Men's World Cup here in uh, Toronto. Um, and I took a job in, with them for the summer. It was literally a summer job. Mm -hmm. And I was program coordinator. And so I, my job wasn't actually at the event. It was to take care of all the younger teams and arrange their training camps and their travel for competition and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it having the World Cup there at the same time was, I don't know, might sound silly, but intoxicating. It was like, wow, is this what basketball is like all the time? <laughs> we get to host World Cups and we get to do, I want to do this forever. Um, and so while I, I, my tenure at Canada basketball, um, went over two decades, it, it wasn't solid. I left and went back three times. Um, so fortunately for me, every time I went back, I went back to a little bit of a higher position. Um, and I was, I was very fortunate to what I would say, I would call my dream job who gets to be the leader and develop the best sport in the world in their home country who gets to do that that was 
unbelievable for me. Um, and you know, there are many people I can mention who have either mentored me or opened doors. Um, and they never did it. It was never a plan. It always just seemed to happen. You know, I don't know if you remember in the movie Forrest Gump, where he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. That's me. Yeah. I always seem to be in the right place at the right time, whether it's, um, at working at a bank. At one point I had left Canada basketball and I went to work at one of the national banks here in Canada. And I went in as a business development person. And so my job was to organize golf tournaments, organize breakfast, bring the economists in to talk to our clients so that they could learn more about how to handle their accounts. It was at the commercial banking level. Um, and then someone, a woman there, her name was Connie Johnson. She was a vice president of um, cash management. And she said, you know what? I have this position as an assistant to the cash managers. I listen to you every day and your methodical approach to how you organize your events. It's the same skill set for this other job. Because this other job was literally banking, like math. Ah. Um, but, you know, she, she, she heard the way I approached things and she thought it was transferable. So she gave me that opportunity. Next thing you know, I'm a manager in that department and I'm giving advice, banking advice to companies. Um, and I think that position right there changed how people perceived me as a, as a professional. Before that, I had been the communications person, the office manager, um, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we already had a CEO, Leslie Delson was there and, you know, Denise Dinyard was doing the high performance side. So there was no room for me at the time. So just when I was about three or four years at the bank, Ontario basketball, which is our, my province right. came and said, are you interested in coming back into sport administration? We'd love to have you be our executive director. Why would I do that? I have a banking job. I'm good. And basketball went back to being a hobby or a passion. Um, but they broke me down and I ended up <laughs> going over to Ontario basketball as their executive director. And, and we made some great progress there. And then Wayne Parrish uh, became the CEO of Canada basketball. Um, and he was great to work with. Wayne had, had come from outside the sports system. He was in the um, journalist world. Uh, and publishing world. So he was new to the system. And so he, as the leader of the biggest province and the leader of the country, we had great conversations. Um, and then when he decided to go back into the publishing world, he pulled me back to Canada basketball. And then, you know, so I would say the people at the bank really opened doors for me just by giving me different opportunities inside that banking world. Um, Wayne opened doors for me by bringing me back to Canada basketball and, and putting me in a tra trajectory to be the CEO. Um, and there's been a few people along the way, but, you know, I think for me, it's the door openers are almost just as important as anyone who's mentoring you. Like mm -hmm. someone who sees something in you and says, Hey, you know what? I think that will work for you. Um, cause I can't even tell you how many times I would tell people I'm the CEO of Canada basketball and their response was, Oh, for the women. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you yeah. don't have two CEOs. You oversee everything, the men, the women, the reps, the coaches, this, that, and like, Oh, 
I'll come back to that in in, in a second because um, but when when you took over then as 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 CEO president CEO in 15, in 2015, um, you, you had been at you had you know seen you know so much and you had you know host you know had had you know helped uh, bring events to the country and and everything else and, and had seen the the, the sport. Uh, grow in interest and and also tr- you know getting more you know getting better results uh, you know national team you know etc. Well, what what was maybe what were a couple of the main things you wanted to accomplish then when you actually took over the top spot? That's easy. Um, what I found was Canada basketball was inconsistent on the court. Every once in a while, we'd have a good group of athletes like the 2000 men's Olympic team with Steve Nash and Rowan Barrett and Todd McCullough. They were good, but it was always very cyclical. And so the reaction you'd get when you went to these events would be, oh, Canada, you're so cute. Look (laughs) at you, how hard you try. But we were always at the kids' table. We were never a part of the big boy conversation or the big, big gun conversation. And it was my approach at the time that you have to have skin in the game and to be able to have skin in the game, you had to host. And so that became a big part of our business plan was to host more international events. Um, we, we also struggled because, you know, we've got professional sports here in Ontario and in Canada where the corporations want to put their money. They don't necessarily want to invest in amateur sport. So we had sponsorship challenges and business development challenges. Um, But it was the hosting strategy that actually opened the doors to have those conversations. Um, And then when I got elected to the, first I was on the FIBA Americas board, but then when I got elected to the FIBA Central board and you're hosting events, now you get to be at the the adult table and you get to have those conversations and be a part of it. And, you know, when I left in 2018, Glenn Grunwald carried over that uh, approach. And now Michael Bartlett is the CEO at Canada basketball and they're taking on the same approach. You have to have skin in the game and you have to host. Um, and, and then sort of that next step is, 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 is having success. Uh, we actually saw each other at I would argue still is uh, the biggest highlight for Can- Canadian basketball uh, to this day was the under 19 uh, World Cup uh, where Canada won the title, uh, first, um, first, first continental title, uh, first uh, world title uh, in, the, in the country's history. I want to actually go back, actually, uh, that was 2017. I actually want to go back two years. Um, and that was the summer of 2015 at the under 16 uh, FIBA Americas. And I actually asked you about this at that, uh, at the world cup. And it was uh, when Canada was leading by 20 or 21 points after uh, the first minute in the second quarter of the U 16 FIBA Americas uh, championship. Um, And uh, this is a USA team that had never lost at, at either under 16 Americas or under 17 world cup. And, and this was, you know, these were two monster rosters, you know, uh, Barrett was there, Shitu was there, Nemhart was there, Jurisic, uh, Bratsikas, uh, Trent Jr., Vanderbilt, Carter, Jones, Knox. Um, and they came back to beat you, to beat Canada. Um, I, I see you shaking your head and you're probably thinking, oh, my God, what if we had actually won that game? Uh, how do you remember that game? It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's seven years ago now, or it will be seven in the summer. 
Uh, what do you what do you think back when you see, when you when you think back to that? You know, there's that game. There's also the game that our men lost in Mexico City to Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were ahead. We were we were winning the whole game, and then we lost at the end. There, I could give you a whole handful of those games. And that was the Venezuela team, also with no NBA players too, which was yeah. yeah. Yep. And. Over my time and before my time, I could get I could name a bunch of games where Canada should have won and didn't. And I think the difference between those games and now, not 100%, but most part, is we have a plan to win. We're not tourists anymore. We have a plan to get there. We have a plan on how to approach those games, and we plan to win. You can't go saying we're going to hope for the best. No, you're going in, you're aiming to win the gold medal and you put everything in place. The coaches, the athletic therapists, the staff help those athletes get prepared to be their best on the court. And I think it has, it was a a big change of culture. We had to start in our office um, with our staff. And, you know, we, we used to have these conversations. I was actually having this conversation with Carol Kellen last week. So we used to have a poster in our office with three mountains on it. And we wanted to be the largest sport in the country. We wanted to, I can't even remember what the second was anymore, but the other one was to win the world championships. And if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. So we have to beat the Americans. And we had these images on in our office and, you know, it, it sounds hokey, but if you don't have that plan and you're every day, you're working towards that plan, it doesn't, the accidental winnings aren't sustainable. So we tried our, we tried to put those plans in place. And I would say for the most part, we, we had success and, you know, people always say the, Oh, it's the golden era of basketball in Canada. And I was like, no, we're just starting. Our story Mm. has barely started. You just wait and see. Because the kids, the kids who aren't even at that level yet, rock. Um, So then the good story, uh, uh, 2017, the the under-19 World Cup, you know, RJ Barrett uh, just goes absolutely crazy. Um, And and he was underage. And he was two years younger. He could have actually played at the at the uh, tournament in 2019 as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he had that motivation also to beat the Americans from the under 16 America's game. Um, and, um, you know, just an amazing performance, beat the Americans in the semifinals. And 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 something that maybe actually people, some people in Canada might not remember is that there were a lot of players. Okay, RJ was two years younger, but there were a lot of players in the generation that was that that, that for the tournament was was for who didn't show. There were a oh, lot yeah. of really really good players, and I'll get to that in a second as well. Um, but 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 maybe you know you know talk about you know we're the we're the you know we're, we're trying to not be the little you know the little you know sit at the you know the child's table you know we're trying to be you know big you know player here in in um, in the uh, in the in the basketball world. I guess the two questions then is. What did it feel to actually get the title? And then how, how, you know, what do you think that, um, how did you think that that might impact the, the steps that you were trying to take then? There were three of us that were there as fans 
There was Mark Bain from Nike. There was Steve Kinshalski, who was there as the mentor coach, actually, and myself. And we sat together at the games and we got superstitious as the tournament went on. We're like, okay, you sit there. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sit here. And who had, who, where was the flag the last time? We had to make sure the flag was in the same spot. <laughs> we were getting, we were getting a little silly. Um, but as, as you went along and you started to see the momentum, we had, the, they had lost to Spain, I think in the last game of the round Robin, um, and then just before the off day. And I know Coach Rana was not happy with that loss. Um, and we took a day off and went to tour the pyramids, as you recall, because I think you were looking to go the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And so the boys, the boys were funny because they didn't want to go. They're 17, 18-year-old boys. They're like, we're going to go where? No, I don't want to go. But of course, Coach Rana is all about that culture. So, of course, they, they all go on the bus, but they all have their headsets on. And um, the guide was trying to talk to them and trying to get them involved. We're on the bus. We're trying to get there. And they're not having any of it. They're just sitting there with their music on. Um, so the, the guide looks at me. He's like, okay, watch this. He's like, okay, uh, does anybody here speak uh, Arabic? And Abu Kijab goes, yeah, I do. And so the two of them start talking in Arabic. The rest of the guys were like, what is going on right now? And so, you know, it was, it broke the ice of the, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm listening to my headset. And they had such a great time on the camels and looking at the pyramids and and the desert. I mean, who gets that opportunity, right? I mean, playing on the national team is when you get to see these spectacular things around the world. Um, And Cairo and the Egyptian Federation were such good hosts. And so it was, as the week went on and you could just start to see, and that day the ice cracked. Um, And I do believe we played France in the quarterfinals and we always seem to play France in the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals was the the bugaboo, was was the monster for Canada basketball. Yeah. And it didn't matter if it was men, women, boys, girls, we always lose to France in the quarterfinals and that game we won. Boy, Rana was in the hallway with tears in his eyes. I'm like, why are you crying? He's like, we finally beat France. (laughs) And so, you know, you just, you could see they were, their, their hearts were lighter. They weren't carrying the weight of the world. They were, they were starting to get some momentum and, the players that people had barely heard of, like Lindell Wigington, who popped up and came out really strong. And I don't think he played in the American game. He had a, a little bit of a concussion. Um, and then you'll remember Abu Kijab actually got sick on the bench because he chugged the, uh, the Gatorade too fast and it made him sick. Um, and so you had all these young men who just fought through it beat the Americans, and then we had to play Italy. And at that point, you're like, okay, I really hope we don't choke against Italy. We got the big game. Now let's get this one. Um, But, you know, one of those, you you ask how that starts to tell the story. I had to battle to get that gold medal game on TV. So there I am in Cairo talking on my cell phone and sending emails to all the sport broadcasters back home. I'm like, boys, 
you didn't show the semis when we played the US. I went for, I went, tried to get them to show the semis first. And I said, you want to be a part of this story? You've got to show the semis. You have to show it now. Mm-hmm. We never will get this in the next month. You won't have another this, story like this. This was a weekend, a slightly weakened uh, USA team as well. There was a lot of guys that weren't there. but And so you had a serious chance to beat, beat them. So. Yeah. And so nobody picked it up. Nobody would pick mm-hmm. up the semis. And then we beat the Americans. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, okay, maybe we can show it. But I need you to pay for the production of this and that. And I'm like, I'm not paying for anything. I don't have any money in my budget for that. It's going to cost you less than $5,000. Just do it. And uh, luckily, the CEO of that company is a big basketball guy. And finally, he stepped in. He's like, yeah, we got this. We'll do it. Um, But that shows you, I tell you that story because it demonstrates the battle where hockey is not, ice hockey is not the most popular sport, but it is still in the media world and in the old boys world, it still rules. So I know Soccer Canada goes through the same problems that we do and they've won gold medals and they, their men's team is moving up the rankings but they still have battles to get their games on TV. Um, it, it's it's something that um, that USA, especially at the under nineteen, has has dealt with um, uh, a lot. Uh, uh, but with Canada basketball, um, especially, I think you know once you you started getting better players and players, um, you know, going to. Uh, going to colleges and whatnot. Uh, um, the, the question is, 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 is maybe a little bit of a challenge one to, to figure, to answer. How, how did you try to deal with, you know, both at the youth level and then also at the senior level uh, players who really didn't want to play for the national team? How did you kind of, um, you know, try, you know, try to, you know, keep them because you, know, you wanted to have the best of your country on your national team but then if you, if they said, no, you didn't want to, you know, ostracize them. You didn't want to you know shove them away because you hope to have them later, you know, guys like Wiggins, you know, early on, you know um, and then like we talked about that, that uh, under 19 team, there was a lot of, you know, really, really good players that didn't, that didn't go and, and could have gone. How did you, how did the Federation, how did the Federation kind of try to deal with that? Um, I have to give credit to Rowan Barrett for a lot of that. His approach was, to go at them, to be nice to those guys, service them however you can, but to go after the younger ones first. Provide training ability, training opportunities in partnership with the provincial organization so that every the athletes and their families could see that both organizations were supporting them. So he started a, um, a youth academy uh, and, the, and the boys used to come together for a couple of weekends a year and, and train. Um, so he, what he was trying to do was get them to be loyal when they were younger, when they were 12 and 13 years old. So that when Canada came calling, they were like, yeah, you know what? Canada did a lot for me. Um, and, and that worked well. Those boys that won the gold medal, I think there were six or seven of them that had come through that academy. So while a lot of people didn't know who they were, they'd actually been part of that program. Um, and then what Rowan did was he partnered with one of the local colleges in Toronto to get training time at their school in the summer. So when all the NBA players and all the pros came home, we had all the athletic staff and the coaches would be in the gym for the guys if they wanted to work one-on-one 
or get a pickup game going. Um, but there was a training center for them all summer so that they could just keep playing. Um, and, you know, he, we, he, Rowan and, and the association, we just tried really hard to make sure the, the players knew we were on their side. Um, they get pulled in a lot of different directions and we understand that. Um, but we wanted them to know we were on their side. There was nothing, we had no, it, it would be wrong to say we had nothing to gain from them wanting to play. Of course there was gains. We would win. Maybe we would get some sponsorship, but we're not for profit. So it would all get reinvested back in their development or the next generation's development. So we really tried to make them see that we're not pocketing money because on you. We're, we're trying to support you and help you be the best you can be so that it then helps Canadians want to be more interested in basketball. Um, and, you know, it, basketball is interesting in Canada because it's primarily, it's played in two avenues, at school or in a club. Now, the club system here and in the U.S. is not like Europe or South America. It's not where you come up through the club and then you go play pro. It's little kids basketball. It's your dad is coaching, your mom is coaching, and you play in tournaments on weekends and, and it's social um, and then as the kids get older, if they decide they want to play, then there's a next level of uh, academies that they can go to. But um, since the Raptors came to Canada in 95, um, it's blown up. And in here in Ontario, I think we didn't have the infrastructure in place. So if I had a club here in Niagara and you had a club in Niagara or you were part of my club, but you didn't like the way I was running things. You could take your team and go start your own club. We, we lived like next door, but you could have your own club. So when I got to Ontario basketball, we start, it was like a shrub that grew out of control. Um, so we, we tried to trim it so it could grow in a more healthy way. So if, if I had a club and you were next door and you wanted a club, unless you had a fully developed plan that was better than mine, you had to come and join me or some other existing club. Uh, because we had a bunch of clubs that were just one-off teams. Okay. I've got a U 13 girls team and I'm my own club. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was a little chaotic. So I think it's gotten more organized. Uh, it's taken a long time to get there though. And it's not perfect. You, you mentioned Ontario. Ontario is Toronto, uh, not just, yeah. but mainly Toronto. Um, and, you know, people who think of Canada, you know, you know, uh, you know, most of that is, you know, Toronto rising up and, 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 and really just in, yeah, a, a total hotbed. Um, but Montreal and Quebec are, are starting to really come up um, a little bit from the, from the, the, the West Coast with Vancouver, British Columbia, couple of you know pockets here or there you know the east side um maybe just talk about um uh, and this was actually another question i asked you back in the uh back in uh in in cairo what do you think canada basketball could be is if everybody were at the same level as 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 ontario toronto ontario um and 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 maybe is there is there sort of one sort of foundational thing that kind of needs to be done to to kind of get there Is there one thing? Probably a couple things, but 
at I'll say not at the professional level, but at the youth level, I would say that um, we need to have better harmony between the schools and the clubs because there sometimes the schools don't allow the kids to play club, which is ludicrous. Um, they're a little territorial. Um, the other interesting thing for basketball in Canada is until 2018, the referees were not part of the federation. They were their own group of people who self-organized and did educational programs and what have you. Um, but we really had no control or influence on what they were doing. So we were having a, I think it was a U15 national championship. We have one every year and we were having conversations about changing the rules for those games, not allowing a zone defense so that we were have, letting those kids have a better developmental opportunity at this tournament. And the referees were like, no, we're not doing that. And we're like, well, it's not your choice. It's our tournament. Yeah, but we're not calling that. So it was, it was ridiculous that we we're having this conversation. And I said, are you, are you service providers or are you part of the development system? And they all had different answers. And I said, well, either way, if you're a service provider, provide the service I ask. If you're part of the development system, then you understand why we need different rules for younger kids. So either way, you lose, like get on board. Um, so for the better part of three years from, a, I mean, I've been trying to have that conversation for decades, even when I was the communications coordinator, um, but it made no sense that the referees were just over here. They had no resources. They were volunteers. They got together once a year. I mean, it made no sense. So I started to chip away at pulling them back into the Federation. And I mean, it's too long a story to get into, but suffice it to say, we got to the point where we had uh, amazing conversations with the leadership of that, of that board at the time. And uh, we got to where they are now part of the National Federation. Um, National Federation actually has staff who's in charge of developing officials. That hasn't happened since this 1976 Olympics. So, you know what, that's a big difference. And in my, it was always my approach that the officials are the tie that binds our game. Whether they're refing a school game or a club game, it's still the same refs. So if we can get them on the same page, then we can create a licensing system. Then we can keep reinvesting back into the game. Um, it's not easy because you're changing 50 years of, of old habits. So um, I know that it's still a very high priority at Canada basketball. I was talking to Ron Young, the director of uh, domestic development a couple of weeks ago, and they're still on it and they still have great conversations. And you know what? It's a big deal for us to be able to do that. Um, we struggle in this country with how to train our officials properly, not just basketball, but any sport. Um. So you left Canada basketball um, and, you know, you're, you're still in the game and we'll actually jump to that in, in, in just one question. How do you look back on your legacy with Canada basketball? You know what? I think, I think that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that. Um, I'm proud of the way that the team started to uh, rise and get better 
they, we always had really strong pieces. And I think I'm proud of the way the pieces started to come together a little bit better. Um, but I would say I'm mostly proud of the changes we made with the referees. Um, because people kept telling me for decades, like, don't waste your time. You're never going to get there. But I could see it was so important to get there. It, it, to have everybody going off in their different direction and not rowing in the same direction or singing off the same song sheet, whatever other cliche you can come up with. Um, until everybody was going in the same direction. You didn't have to take the same path, but you at least had to know what the end line was. Um, I think that's, I will look proudly, <coughs> excuse me, I will look proudly on that progress. So you are, um, you're, you're still very, very involved in the game. Um, and it's actually more at a, a, a continental or actually world level. And I, I kind of want to go back to, uh, or I want to kind of move on to your 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 other two roles. Obviously, you, you're working right now at, uh, at at Niagara College, but you're also a member of the FIBA Central Board, um, and and as I mentioned, also a member of the the FIBA Commission Women in Basketball. Um, and you know, there's been there's been a lot of uh, um, there's been stated effort uh, from FIBA to to increase the. Uh, the role of females at all levels of the sport, um, and uh, you know, also um, at the at the executive level. Um, and I, I guess I guess first, just start off with, um, you know, that they 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 kind of put in, you know, we wanna we wanna work on this, you know, from 2019 to uh, 2023 first for for this window, if you will. Um, uh, maybe you know we're we're you know we're halfway through that basically now. Uh, maybe your thoughts about what the maybe give what, what the commission kind of um, uh, maybe let let people know some of the the major pillars of what you guys wanted to do and where you think you are at that point. Um, there has been tremendous progress. Um, we each of the zones have have um, created development program, shall we say, for next generation sport administrators. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but I think what we really were trying to do with the women in basketball pillar was to, to what you said, grow the game, grow the awareness, make sure there's room for women leaders um, because there's some great young women out there that could do a, smashing job and you know I think about Betty Cibrian and Betty is the is the lead staff person on this file um, at FIBA with Zoran Radovich um, and Betty has rolled up her sleeves and done a lot of research and uh, Lena Wallen has also uh, she's the chair of our our commission under the umbrella of the competitions committee with Jorge Garbajosa. Um, and, you know, Betty and Lena have, have done a lot of heavy lifting on this. They've done all the research. They've got the data. They know what needs to, where we need to go with this. Um, the world is big and we're all very different demographically, geographically, what's available in all our different parts of the world. Um, I know here in the Americas, Carol Callen, who is our president, she and I were planning to do a program 
before the pandemic uh, to develop, identify and develop young females from each of the federations. Um, and as a female, I can tell you, I have been to countless women in sport leadership conferences where you all sit around and complain about how you're treated and blah, blah, blah. And everybody goes home angry or invigorated that they're going to make changes. <laughs> but then there's never an action plan that comes out of it. And that mm -hmm. drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, so I said to Carol, I'm happy to work on this with you, but we need to have an outcome. There needs to be something that we're working towards because to pull people together for two days and have some speakers, it's nice, um, but it's not enough. So then we, we had made plans. And I remember one of the last meetings we had before the shutdown uh, was in Miami with the FIBA Americas board and Andreas Aklis was there. And we, Carol and I had talked to Andreas about what we wanted to do and he was supportive. And so when it came up on the agenda the next day, he looked at each person, each man, because it was all men except for Carol and I, and made them commit to participating in this program. Uh, all they had to do was commit to a flight to Miami and FIBA would cover the local costs. And so when the big cheese tells you, puts you on the spot, what do you say? No. Plus it's Miami. So it's, you know, it's like, there could be worse places to go. <laughs> so Carol and I were very invigorated after that meeting. And about a week later, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so to use the, one of the very overused terms during the pandemic, we pivoted and uh, we decided to do it on Zoom instead. So we ended up doing seven Monday evenings in a row. Um, and we had about 32 young women who were identified from their federations. They had to come in with the endorsement of their federation and a project. It, the project could be uh, growing coaches, growing officials, growing kids, starting a pro league, starting a three-on-three -three league. It had to have something concrete. Um, and there were some great projects that the, the ladies had identified and were endorsed by their federations. So then we had speakers to talk to them about how to make a presentation, how to put your presentation together, how to create a business plan, um, how to deal with professional athletes, how to deal with children, how to, we had unbelievable speakers. We had, um, uh, Jenny Shipley was our kickoff speaker. Jenny is the first female prime minister from New Zealand and is Burton Shipley's wife. Burton is the president of the Oceana Zone and sits on the central board. And Carol and I got to know her when we were in China in 2019 for the World Cup. She was a perfect person to kick it off because she sat in the room with the strongest leader who were all men in the world. And she was the only female there. So she had great things to share. And we had Cynthia Marshall, who's the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban hired her to change the culture in the Mavericks office. So she talked about how to change a culture. Um, and so we went through seven weeks. We had a, a professor from the University of Colorado who had a template for a business model and showed them how to create a business model. So anyway, went through all of that and it was so overwhelmingly positive. And it complemented what the work that Betty and Lena were doing in Europe with the, with the program uh, We Lead. And then uh, the Oceana group started to do We Lead and then Her World, Her Rules came along. And so, you know what, I think there's been injection um, of funds that have sparked the conversation, like the art of the possible, right? Try to open people's eyes. 
And what we what we've done particularly in the Americas is there were there are a couple of the young ones who are real spark plugs, and we invited them to observe our FIBA Americas meetings. Um, and so they come in and I mean on Zoom, uh, but they're they're in there on Zoom and they're listening and they're just learning. Um, there's different opportunities that have come up where they could take a, um, some sort of leadership opportunity with um, the IOC or something like that. And so we always know who our go-tos are and we're just trying to raise their profile because you know what, I'm not getting any younger. We need to start filling that pipeline with these young women. Um, and I think that to me is, is it needs to be normal. It needs to just be regular. It can't always be a special event. Special events are not sustainable. You have to raise the profile of these young women, let them prove what they can do, and then they become a part of the everyday conversation. This uh, six, seven-week uh, program, that was the Adelante? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Adelante. Adelante, Adelante. Um, how, how happy will you be if there's if there is no need for a women in basketball commission i mean isn't that what your isn't what the end goal is yeah there should just be women on every commission we don't it's a, it's a, it's like so, a so i think the um fiba midterm congress uh, in june 21 said the, that each gender should be rep- shall be represented by a minimum of 30% um yeah. so and it, is there a time frame on that at all I know this part of Adelante it will will um, um, will suggest uh, qualified candidates both genders um, yeah. if there's a new opening um, at at FIBA or a national federation. But do you know if there's a a, a, a time frame for that thirty percent? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, I'm not sure. I wasn't uh, at that meeting, so I'm not sure what the date. Put on it was yeah i would assume that it was probably before give people time to start building the mm-hmm. the, the pool of people pool of candidates mm-hmm. um, but i would suspect it's probably by 2023 so you you mentioned uh you mentioned we lead uh and and uh and her world her rules um uh maybe just just is there I guess it's kind of the same thing as to, you know, to, to, to raise the awareness, to get more people involved. Is that, is that kind of the idea there? It's, it's a, sure. It's definitely about awareness, but for me, it's more of rolling up your sleeves and helping these young women get a little different exposure to different things um, to make sure that they're growing. It's not about just putting on a t-shirt and saying, I'm, I'm a female and I'm in basketball. It's okay. What are, what's your project? What skill set do you need? You need to be able to put a PowerPoint presentation together. Perfect. We'll, we'll get you a tutorial on how to do a PowerPoint presentation. Do you need to learn how to practice your presenting in front of a room full of men? Okay. We'll figure out how to help you do that. Um, we're trying to give them the more practical skills and help them identify what they need on the practical side to be, um, to be confident when they're, when they're in those conversations and being able to make their point. Um, it's not just, it can't just be a quota number without actually having the plan to help them get there. Mm -hmm. I, um, uh, I was, one of the speakers for uh, the Oceana We Lead um, a couple of months ago, before Christmas, I think. 
And uh, it was a great conversation. These women down there from Tahiti and, and all those other smaller countries are really working on their three on three and on their coaching and trying to develop coaches and officials. And I, I think that's the best part for me is having these women take their identify the gap in their federation or in their country and put a plan to place to fix it or to help fix it. Um, and I know, think and also know that like. FIBA is behind them. Yeah. You know that there's, there's, there's people behind you pushing you forward. They're mm-hmm. not trying to pull you back. They're not trying to put up road barriers, FIBA, they're the zone federations and their home federations are all supportive. And that's the best part. Um, I, I really wish that we could actually talk a little bit more. I do want to, I do want to actually just kind of just touch on your other hat that you're wearing and that, that is the, the central board, uh, FIBA central board. Um, maybe some of the, some of the tasks, uh, issues, uh, that you're, that, you know, obviously there's the, you know, this women in in basketball is, is is a FIBA commission. uh, And there is also then separately is the, you know, a member of the central board. Um, what are some of the things you're pushing at the central board or some of the things you're, your issues you're kind of, uh, watching at that level? Um, you know, I think the approach Andreas has taken has been very positive because we identified four pillars coming out of, um, out of the, uh, Congress in in China in 2019. And every meeting is based on those benchmarks and what's, where's the progress. And honestly, because the pandemic has hit everyone so hard right now, I think everyone's just trying to get back to where we were, uh, get these events running in a, in a healthy way, make sure the sponsorship, our sponsors and partners are happy and and we're able to grow that. Um, And I think right now the, the four pillars have, uh, have really been the basis of, of the plan. And so I think I really appreciate that there is a plan. You need to grow the FIBA family. You need to have women, stronger um, women in basketball. And so these things, these things are, were identified strategically to grow the game in the country or in the world, sorry. And uh, so every, every meeting that we have, whether it's the central board or, or any of the commissions, they're all designed to feed into those pillars to help us just keep growing. There's, there's, there's the, um, there's the, um, there's the pillars. Um, is there, are there some current concerns that you guys are, you know, looking at and, you know, it's like things that, you know, we need to really kind of, um, I don't know, take, you know, really take more action and, and, you know, and go after whatever. I think a lot of those conversations, honestly, are more at the executive level than the central board. There, you know, we have the executive level of the central board, and I think all those hard conversations normally happen there. Um, you know, there's always issues that pop up over um, politics or or harassment and those kinds of things. And I think the solutions are being discussed at the senior staff and the executive level of the central board. All right. Um, if listeners out there um, want to do something, uh, what can they do? Where can they go? How can they support uh, the the push? Uh, use this as a you know sounding board. How can people take part? Um, you know what? Be open minded. Be open to the conversation. To 
if you aren't sure where to start, just keep having conversations. I have that in my signature in my email. It, it all starts with a conversation. If you, if you have a question, ask it. If you can't find the answer, find someone who can answer it. And then just keep digging at it. Um, if anybody ever wants to ask a question, I can always try to answer it. People are welcome to contact me. But um, there's some world-class people at FIBA and in the FIBA zone offices. And, you know, they're always willing to help. And I think there's a lot of opportunities in this world if we, if we all work together. And you went, you went back to, to, to um, uh, what's it called? Is it Welland? Is that where the, uh, where Niagara is? Yep. Yeah. Um, My hometown. So um, do you, do you miss, do you miss sort of uh, Toronto at all? Is it, you know, or do you, are, are you, is, do you have your, I mean, you have all of these other things to satisfy your, your basketball kick. So, I mean, and, and, and Zoom, you could do everything anywhere. So, right. Yeah. Zoom has made the world a lot smaller. Um, you know what? No, I have no regrets. I, I don't, I, I don't want to leave a Ni- Niagara college because that is your function, you know, as well. I don't want to leave it totally yeah. out. So go ahead and, you know, you know, no, what you, you, know what you what? think of what you're doing there. I, I love it. You know what? It's, it's a different level. I've worked at many different levels of sport. I've worked provincial, national, international, and now I get to really delve into the local side. Um, we've got some great programs at our college and, and I love to see the creativity that comes out. Um, I will tell you though, David, there's one project that we're working on with the city. Uh, it's a very creative name that you'll be in awe of. It's called Girls Day. How's that for a name? Um, it's perfectly but, for this interview. <laughs> there's the city is building an outdoor multi-sport court complex. So there'll be basketball, beach volleyball, tennis, and pickleball. Pickleball is very popular down here. I don't know how it is in Europe, but it's getting very popular. Uh, but where they're building it is along the canal. So we have a canal that connects Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Uh, but this is the old one that's not used by ships anymore. And there's um, a flat water center in there where uh, rowers train and dragon boat, canoe, kayak, and they train and compete in the canal. So this complex is right beside that. Um, So we're going to host girls day in May at the end of May. Uh, We're inviting all the local girls under the age of 12 to come and try a sport. We're going to have, basketball leads, all those, all the sports I mentioned. We're also going to work with the local rowing club. Who's going to put little rowboats in the canal for the girls to try that. We'll set up something for soccer and baseball and golf. Um, But the idea is we want them to try it because we know what boys are like. Boys will see this complex and they will take it over (laughs) and they'll be there from dawn till dusk and the girls will never want to go. Um, so we're going to show them how to play. We're partnering with one of the national sport charities called Jumpstart. Um, and they're supplying us with all the sporting equipment. So they're giving us basketballs and volleyballs and tennis rackets and all that sort of stuff. And then all the girls will get to take it home. And so they will have their equipment and they can play in their driveway or in the schoolyard, or they can come down to this complex, whatever they want to do. Um, but we're really excited because it's a, it's a, a great event to support the local young girls with the college and the city and a couple of other friends who I kind of arm twisted them and told them they had to help. Um, But it's starting to catch on and and other people are wanting to get their hands into it. It's such a simple thing. It's not complex. It's like find an outdoor place to play and set it up. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm excited for that. So those, I think what I'm trying to say is coming back down here, now I get to build the community that helped build me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a child down here, sports were everything. We all played sports. My All my best friends were basketball players or baseball players or whatever. Um, and I want to bring that back. I want to help bring that back because it helps people. It helps young ones become better citizens. I'm glad I asked about that because it uh, sounds uh, sounds fun. And to be honest, it uh, fits exactly with uh, with your history and, and everything you've done and uh, and your stops along the way, learning this skill, that skill, talking to this person, meeting that person, making this connection and putting it all uh, back together at home. Uh, Michelle O'Keefe, I thank you very much for so much time. I appreciate it. I hope uh, people out there um, uh, learn something and, uh, and, and also a couple of good memories, a couple of, uh, you know, less good memories, but, uh, and then also learned, uh, hopefully, uh, to appreciate that there's a big effort right now going on, uh, in with women in basketball and, and is really one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on and talk about it. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.